Good morning, everybody. Glad to be back with you. And I left you, uh, I, I said, hopefully I'll be back a little wiser and a little tanner. Not as tan as I hoped to be. Why is it that a week at the beach in July goes by in like three seconds, but like a week in February, right? Like drags on for months. I'm glad to be back um, in pursuit this summer of that ancient gift of wisdom as we, we are sitting and going through modern problems, ancient answers. You guys remember the comedian John Crist? Anybody? A couple of you do. Uh, a few years ago, at least in the Christian subculture in which many of us spend a lot of time, too much time, honestly, he had become a pretty famous, pretty well-known comedian. And he got famous, really famous, for his parody videos of Christian things. Um, at, at least, uh, at least, um, I'm trying to think of how to say it. He would make fun of Christian things, the Christian subculture, but it was like okay with every, because it was all Christians that was watching him. It was okay because he was one of our own, right? He was kind of turning a snarky eye on, on us. You can find the videos out there. They're still there. They're still funny. He did a whole series of videos called um, Church Hunters. Instead of House Hunters, it was Church Hunters. It was hilariously themed off the House Hunters thing with the music and all the rest. But instead of like cute young married couples looking for a home, they were looking for a church instead. And, and they'd go in and they'd measure the distance between the pews and the seats. And they'd ask questions about, you know, well, in this church, how skinny are the worship leader's jeans? How cool is the pastor, right? At one point, the church shopper wife says that they're looking for a pastor with the humor of Andy Stanley and the body of Stephen Furtick. So uh, if you don't know who they are, then maybe none of this would be funny to you because it's all Christian subculture stuff. And it was funny. Um, and he got really famous off of this stuff. Uh, and as his comedy took off, um, something began to bother me a little bit about it. As a guy who really does believe that the church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, I started to wonder, as I laughed along with him, how much unintended damage this consistent lacking, or laughing at ourselves might be causing. I mean, it was, it was hilarious. It was witty. It was super smart. But it was also kind of super snark, if you know what I mean. It was comedy, but at its heart, it was also kind of critical. Paul told the, the church in the city of Thessalonica that as believers, we should build one another up. And while I know it was meant to be funny, over time I couldn't help but wonder how much of that comedy was beginning to tear us down, deconstructing in a way something that really is quite beautiful. And I say all this as a way of introduction to our second look kind of week two, at what King Solomon, if you, you remember the introduction to our series, Israel's third king, his father was, was King David of David and Goliath fame, King Solomon, who because when God said to him, I'll give you whatever you would like, choose whatever you like, Solomon chose wisdom and God granted it to him, granted it to him. Solomon's depicted in the scriptures as the wisest man who would ever lived. Today we conclude our look at what Solomon repeatedly referred to and over 60 times in the book of Proverbs as fools. Here's what he said. He said, the beginning of wisdom, the opposite of being a fool, is this. Get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. That was Solomon's instruction. 
And, and that is what I've been trying to point us towards through, through me and through other speakers this summer. This desire, like, I want to be wise. I want to stop being fooled. I want to stop being a fool. I want to stop being foolish. I, I know where it is I want to go in life. I know where it is I believe God calls me to go in life, and I'd like to get on that path, but I oftentimes make choices that seem to be sending me down a different path. What do I have to do in order to make good choices? I need wisdom. Here's the thing. Solomon would point out to you, if you are not in pursuit of wisdom, it is unnatural in our human conditions. If you are not in pursuit of wisdom, moving, journeying, walking towards wisdom, Solomon warns there's a much more common path. He describes it over and over again as the path of fools heading towards folly. In the book of Proverbs, it's this ancient book of wisdom, he lays out various ways, at least four different kinds of fools, and their folly um, leads them, where it leads them to. Now the goal, remember, as I talked to you this morning about the various kind of fools that Solomon lays out, the goal is not to be trying to figure out what kind of fool your husband is. Right? The goal is not to be looking in front and going, well, I know, you know, Sunni, I know what kind of fool you are, right? The goal is not to elbow anybody or, or, or send this message when you get home, tag somebody in the message. The goal is this morning to be going, hmm, what kind of fool am I, right? Where are these things true in my own life? And how have I contributed to this kind of foolishness and folly? And what do I need to get back on the path towards wisdom? To attain the kind of life that it is I really want. So I stop making all these stupid choices and decisions. Solomon, if you were, if you were here with me by video two weeks ago, he looked us, he introduced us to three kinds of fools in the opening, one of the opening verses of Proverbs. Here's how he put it. He said, how long will you who are simple, that's one kind of fool, Love your simple ways. How long will you mockers, second kind of fool, delight in mockery? And how long will you fools hate knowledge? There are three of them in that verse, three kinds of fools. We looked at a couple of them last week, I was, I, I, the last time I was with you. If you missed it, I encourage you to go back. I can't go through all of them again. You could see the video on our, our webpage or on our Facebook page. Quickly recapping. Solomon says that in that sentence, there are, there are three kinds of fools. There is the simple fool. In Hebrew, in which this was written, that was pathi, the naive fool, the, the insecure fool. This is the simple-minded person, the naive, inexperienced fool. It's the fool who just, I mean, he can't help himself. He doesn't know any better. He's, he's uninformed. Oftentimes, in, in, in the, in the uh, Proverbs, it's a young person who lacks experience or context or judgment. And so he winds up in trouble all the time, right? He's easily misled by everybody. The simple fool doesn't have any bedrock principles or guiding truths. And so literally, because they're trying to kind of figure life out, they're open to everything, anything. Moved easily by people with grandiose speech or, or through flattering appeal. Now, simple fools, here's the problem. They're not limited to young people. You can mature. You can get educated. You can be sophisticated. But you can maintain the mindset of being a simple fool. How? Well, one example would be you're so exceedingly concerned about what others think. 
so deeply insecure in yourself that you wind up in, in trying to look smart or be cool or be accepted or have friends. You wind up, as you pursue those things, easily being played or manipulated. So, so week one, we looked at simple fools, right? What happens to them? We went on to talk about what happens to a simple fool. How do you help a simple fool? How do you deal with them? Check that out. Then there was the stubborn fool. In Hebrew, the avil. The stubborn fool is ignorant and rebellious. He's like the naive fool, but he's progressed in his foolishness because now he is, he is uninformed and proud of it. He's obstinate. He's open to every idea under the sun, and e excuse me, the naive fool is open to every idea under the sun and easily influenced. The stubborn fool is open to no other ideas, none. He knows it all. He's really, the naive fool is uncertain of what he believes. The, the, the stubborn fool is overconfident in what he believes. He speaks often, repeatedly, all the time. He never shuts up. And he speaks with great surety and passion about things which he does not, it turns out, he does not truly understand. And he leads simple fools away all of the time. He's actually not very smart. What he believes oftentimes is incorrect. But he's so confident in his opinion, right, that he winds up being attractive to simple fools. Now, whereas correction for a simple fool, correcting a simple fool, is crushing to them, right? Because they're trying so hard and they want to look smart and they want to be accepted, right? They want to please people. So criticism of any kind is super hurtful to a simple fool. Criticize a stubborn fool doesn't hurt him at all. Doesn't care. He just is sure you're wrong, right? He just blows it off. Lots on stubborn fools last time, what to deal with them all in the video. And then finally there was the casile, the sensual fool, the pursuer of pleasure. Unlike the, the simple fool or the stubborn fool, the casile actually knows better. His God, though, is ultimately his stomach, his desires for whatever. It could be good things, it could be bad things. It is a, it is a, in, a, 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 um, a disordered love. He's put, he's put even things like family above things like God. And so, so he goes too hard after wrong things. His desires get the best of him. Whatever feels good or, or, is, or feels right is right. Their feelings, this is prevalent in our world today, become the highest authority. Oftentimes, they even know what they're doing. They know, and you and I have done this, right? We know the path that we want to be on, yet we know the decision we're going to make is ultimately not going to lead us on the path that we want to go on. It'll lead us away from the destination of our choice, but that right decision will have to wait for another day because the sensual fool has a desire for something right now. Money or power or reputation or pleasure of any kind, it's got to be fed, it's got to be met right now. You might remember one of the most powerful, I think, one of the most powerful Proverbs deals with the sensual fool. Um, uh, he, Solomon wrote, as a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. Can't help but go back to it, even though I know, it, I know I shouldn't, I know it's disgusting, I know I've already thrown it, I, I, you know, how many times, God, I swear, if you, I, I, I won't do it again. Now, in the pantheon and progression of fools, today we're going to look at the worst and one that I think in our culture presents a very real modern-day problem, the worst kind of fool. King David, again, Solomon's father, right? 
David who took down Goliath. Solomon's dad, David, introduces to us, uh, introduces us to this kind of fool in the very first verse of the very first psalm. That's how prevalent and dangerous this fool is. Blessed, he writes, is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. On the progressive path of fools and their folly, to sit in the company, or as some translations say, to sit in the seat of the mocker is the worst kind of fool you can be. What is a mocker? Well, again, depending on the translation, sometimes it's called the scoffer. The mocker, as I, I, I read someone refer to him this week, as the, is a fool on steroids. In the progression of the good, the bad, and the ugly, the simple fool is the good one, right? He can be corrected. The stubborn or sensual fools, they're the bad ones. They're so sure of themselves or addicted to those disordered loves, they're hard to correct. The mocker? The mocker is the ugly fool. It's the man or the woman who doesn't care about the difference between right and wrong or wise and unwise. Not just that, right? But they are constantly mocking or scoffing other people who are pursuing what is right and good and wise. Mockers are cynical. Think about our culture today. Think about people in your, your you know, realm of friendship. Mockers are cynical, critical, condescending, and usually use this uh, to control they always try to come across, and almost always do, almost always do, they always try to come across as the smartest person in the room, and they use that supposed knowledge, right, to try to dominate and manipulate the world in which they exist and their relationships. Solomon defined the mocker this way. He said, the proud and arrogant person, mocker is his name, behaves with insolent fury. Mockers are driven by their pride and their arrogance. They are so self-assured of their own wisdom. And make no mistake about it, as you read this, you'll start to realize mockers are smart. Like, like these aren't, these aren't the, the obstinate or the stubborn fool. The stubborn fool is just usually wrong. Mockers tend to be bright. And because of their intelligence, they're actually... All, and they're super practical. Their intelligence, their super practical nature, they're often super successful. My friends, we live in Mendham, New Jersey. Guess what this room is likely full of right now? But not you, right? Not me. Their pride and their arrogance in their intelligence and in their success makes them wind up behaving rudely and disrespectfully in their anger. Here's what Solomon said. He said, the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked but he blesses the home of the righteous. Now, I give you that as context, right? He's setting one thing as opposed to the other, the wicked versus the righteous. Next verse, he mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. You see, the opposite of being a mocker is humility, one of the highest virtues in the Scripture. Many of you are here this morning because you believe Jesus is who he said he is. You revere Jesus. You've got your WWJD bracelet out in your glove compartment, right? Jesus, by every account, is the humblest person who ever lived. 
The Apostle Paul writes to the Philippians, right? He says, have, the, have this mind among you, which is in Christ Jesus. Here was Jesus' mindset. Though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him. Don't you see what mockers do? Mockers elevate themselves through their wit and their snark and their cynicism. And to what end? Why do they do it? Well, they exalt themselves. They are actually, although I'm telling you they're funny and they're quick and they're smart, they are the personification of non-Christ-like behavior. And yet today, given the mostly unearned platform of social media, they're prevalent everywhere. Again, back to David, um, Solomon's dad. Here's what he said again in the Psalms. The arrogant mock me unmercifully, but I do not turn from your law. The arrogant mockers mock those who actually do good. In David's case, it was for keeping the law of God. People mock him. Now, what you have to understand about the mocker is oftentimes the mocker doesn't do it just flat out right. People are too smart to be caught up by that, right? It's more of kind of good-natured joking. Oh, David, you do-gooder. Oh, David, you're so holy. You're so, you're so much holier than thou. David, you know, he starts to talk behind his back. David thinks he's so much better than everybody. The spirit of the mocker is the spirit of those who begin to try to look behind the curtain all the time. It's the spirit that's alive and well in, a, in cancel culture today, right? You see it all the time. Oh, really, David? Really? How about that whole Bathsheba incident, David? You remember that whole adultery murder thing, David? You just love the law, don't you, David? <laughs> Why don't you just take a seat in the back, David? We won't need to hear it from you anymore. It's the mocker. Hear it everywhere now. See, Solomon grew up seeing what the mockers were doing to his dad, right? And, and what Solomon began to realize is it's not just people that mockers tear down. Mockers tear down principles. A, a corrupt witness mocks at justice, and the mouth of the wicked gulps down evil. Mockers mock the principles of, in this case, biblical justice. If you remember a few weeks ago, we looked at justice in the Proverbs as it relates to the modern problem of poverty. And justice for Solomon was not merely punishment for, for criminals. It was protection and care for the poor and the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant. It was restorative justice, not punitive justice. The mocker mocks the call for this kind of justice. The mocker discredits anybody who's pursuing it. Let them pull themselves up by their own bootstraps is the cry of the mocker. I actually experienced this once when we first started going to Guatemala. Things were going really well with that, that kind of ministry we had stepped into and it was taking off and I went to a friend's house. I told this story a, a couple of years ago. I went to a friend's house and, and this friend was super successful, super successful built a street um, and had a house on the end of his own street. And uh, we were just talking about what we were up to, and I began to share the story of Guatemala. And, uh, he, you know, he had had a couple of cocktails, and uh, he began to jokingly laugh and say, look at John. He thinks he's going to change the world. Being funny. 
Everybody just kind of laughed it off, right? Mockers tear people down. They, they, they tear down people, then they tear down principles, and then they begin to tear down structures. Fools, Solomon would write, mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. Now, when you, when you read that, you have to understand that making amends for a sin was a structure in, in the lives of, of the people of Israel. When Solomon wrote this, there was an entire temporal, temple sacrificial system and structure for dealing with sin. It was deeply embedded in the history and the culture and the faith of the Jewish people. It was ordained by God as a precursor to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb of God who, who would be slain, who would die to make amends for the sins of the world. We just celebrated that here, right? Fools, Solomon says, mock that. You see, fools mock people and principles and structures. They tear them down. They laugh at them. They look behind the scenes. They try to cancel them. I read a fascinating commentary this week in regards to the mocker and our modern-day conversations, the way we talk to each other. Again, the Apostle Paul, he describes the way he came to speak to the Corinthians. Here's what he said. He goes, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom. I came to you in weakness and fear. There's the humility again. And with much trembling. Those phrases, eloquence and superior wisdom, they referred to practices that were often marked in public orders in the Greco-Roman culture. Anthony Thieselton, he wrote a commentary on 1 Corinthians. He defined what those things were in the culture that Paul was referring to, um, those phrases, eloquence and superior wisdom. First, he said there was, in their culture, verbal bullying, using force of personality, witty and cutting disdain, and super confident demagoguery to beat the listeners into wanting to be on the speaker's side. And second, there was applause-generating, consumer-oriented rhetoric playing to a crowd's prejudices, pride, and fears. Does any of this sound familiar? Though they were effective in his culture and ours for garnering popular support, Paul refused these rhetorical strategies, both of which were practices of the mocker. Now, here's the thing about mockers. Mockers, at first, they wind up being pretty popular people because they are smart, and they're witty, and they're funny. And people like to be with them. But hang around a mocker long enough, right? And they begin to, they be, well, they begin to wear off on you, which is not good. And then they begin to wear on you. Mockers are, are very pragmatic people. They use their wit and their snark to get ahead. And because of their incessant cynicism and their derogatory ways, over time, they wind up isolating people. And they wind up being very isolated people. Solomon writes, if you're wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you're a mocker, you alone will suffer. Mockers don't do well in community. Mockers, let me just repeat that, don't do well in community. They don't do well in relationships. They don't do well in marriages. Mockers tend to, over time, wind up being very isolated people, surrounded over time by... Well, if you're rich enough and successful enough and powerful enough, you wind up being surrounded by yes-men that you pay to protect you and be your friends. The schemes of folly are sin, and people detest a mocker. See, we live in a day and age, right, 
where, where mockers seem to have all the microphones, don't they? Critical theory in all of its applications seems to have been taken, it seems to have taken hold on all of the people and the principles and the powers and the structures of our day. People are deconstructing everything now from their, their own faith to their forefathers. Now, all of that is not bad. It is good to, to look at some of these things with a, a fresh eye. But carried to extremes and, and not held in its proper tension with wisdom and truth, Solomon put it this way. The mocker seeks wisdom and finds none, but knowledge comes easily to the discerning. In other words, the mocker, after you become, after you become so full of this kind of foolishness, you can go and look for truth and wisdom, but because you have torn it all down, because you have destroyed the people and the systems and the structures, when you go out to look for truth and wisdom, because you've laughed out loud at all of the principles of right and wrong, because you've cast a judgmental and cynical eye on all of these things, you can't even find truth anymore. Everything just seems amorphous. Everything is now just, well, it's all just relative. You can't find truth anymore, anywhere, about anything. For the mocker, nothing becomes ultimately binary. Everything is fluid. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Abolition of Man, put it like this. Just bear with me. Try, it's a little bit of high English, but it's so good. He goes, you cannot go on, quote, seeing through things forever. The whole point of seeing through something is to see something through it. It is good that the window should be transparent because the street or the garden beyond it, it is opaque. How if you saw through the gar how would it be if you saw through the garden too? It's no use trying to see through first principles. If you see through everything, then everything is transparent. But a wholly transparent world is an invisible world. I love the conclusion to quote, see through everything is the same as not to see. How brilliant is that? See, when mockers get all the microphones, well, Solomon nailed it. Mockers stir up a city, but the wise turn away anger. The reason we get so mad at each other, the reason everything is unwinding all around us, the reason our cities and our institutions are on fire is that we have all become fools chasing one kind of folly or another. See, on one side of the foolishness, you've got the mockers, right? The critics, the deconstructors, who look cynically at everything, everywhere, everyone. All of it needs to be torn down and thrown away. That's one kind of fool. Tim Keller, in, in an essay published in Life in the Gospel, he took this idea of, the, of critical theory and the constant deconstruction of everything on. Here's what he said. If all truth claims and justice agendas are socially constructed just to maintain power, then why aren't the claims and agendas of the adherents of this view subject to that same critique? Why are the postmodern justice advocates, their claims that this is oppression, unquestionably morally right, while all other moral claims are mere social constructs? And if everyone is blinded by class consciousness and social location, why aren't they? The postmodern account of justice has no good answers for these questions. You cannot insist that all morality is culturally constructive and constructed and relative and then claim your moral claims are not. 
This is not a flaw that this is not a flaw that only Christians can see, and this may therefore be a fatal flaw for the entire theory. He goes on, postmodern critical theory also holds that any evil is instilled in humans by society, and any pathology can then be fixed by just revamping social policy. But the Bible teaches that sin is pervasive and universal. We're each members of a race or a nationality that contains much unique common grace to contribute to the world. But every culture also comes with a particular sinful idolatry. No race or people group is inherently more sinful than others. But in this postmodern view of justice, groups are assigned higher or lower moral value depending on their power. And some groups are denied any redeeming characteristics at all. To see whole races as more sinful and evil than other races leads to things like the Holocaust. I like his conclusion related to the mockers of our day. He says, the distinctly secular theory of justice locates evil in the wrong place, he added, seeing all injustice as occurring on a human level, demonizing human beings instead of recognizing evil forces, the world, the flesh, the devil, operating in every human being. Adherents of this view also end up being utopian. They themselves, they see themselves as saviors ra rather than recognizing the only thing, a true divine savior, it, he is only able to bring justice. When dealing with injustice, we do confront human sin, but addition, we in addition, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. When you adopt too much critical theory, when you take it to its ends, it makes the problem others and you the victim. But, as the old Jimmy Buffett song goes, fins to the left, fins to the right, we have fools to the left and fools to the right. While we have critics to the left who will tear down everything, we have stubborn and obstinate fools to the right. Critics who want it all torn down and stubborn fools amongst us who see no reason to give anything a second look. Their truth is the truth, no need to evaluate it. Their understanding of history is history, regardless of the facts. Regardless of the fact that we all know history is written by the winners, those on top of the power structures. Solomon wrote this stuff 3,000 years ago. And what I want you to see this morning, this is not a, a political talk. It's a talk about fools and their folly. It should offend all of us equally. And today, I have to tell you, folly is winning, and the fool in each of us is fighting the fool in the other. And so what do we do? Well, the last time we, we looked at what to do with the simple and the stubborn and then the sensual fools. Today, I, I want to look at what the scriptures call us to do with the mockers. A couple of tips before we begin. We get, begin. First, quote, wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by, the, astray by them is not wise. Tip number one, alcohol tends to bring out the dormant fool that lies just below the surface in all of us. Since social media uh, seems to be fueling the foolish fires everywhere, may I make a couple of simple suggestions. Do not mix your Pinot with your post. <laughs> Do not have a Tangeray and text. And while that seems funny, and it is, you would be shocked, and I know you know this, at how many people have destroyed themselves and relationships texting and posting post-cocktail post hour. Bad move. Second, regarding the mocker. Mockers resent correction, and so they avoid the wise. And again, a wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker does not respond to rebukes. Mockers, because they are smart, 
and they are acerbic. Not only do they not respond to correction or abuke well, do you know what happens when you attack a mocker? They bite back. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Do you know this person? Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. I love this. It's just the contrast, right? Rebuke the wise and they'll love you. Instruct the wise and they'll be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they'll add to their learning. Correction of a mocker, somebody that's, that, that's a critic like this, right? Rebuke isn't the way to handle them. They're not only, they're not going to hear it from you, right? There's a very good chance they're at least as smart as you, right? But when, when, they, when you do try to correct them, they're going to come after you, right? They're going to come after those in your lives, those you care about, the positions you take. These are the kind of people that tear things down, and it will include you. They destroy communities. They destroy families. They destroy workplaces. They destroy churches. Most of the time, Paul is writing in the New Testament to churches that are fighting. What happens is mockers, because they're smart and they're witty, right, they can tear down communities and social structures, and the church is not immune to what the mocker can do. Solomon goes on. He says, a rebuke impresses a discerning person more than a hundred lashes a fool. Flog a mocker, and the simple will learn prudence. Rebuke the discerning, and they will gain knowledge. When a mocker is punished, the simple gain wisdom. Notice the mocker doesn't. When a mocker is punished, the simple gain wisdom. By paying attention to the wise, they get knowledge. Now, let me just back that up so you get what's happening here. In ancient times, 40 lashes was the punishment for the worst type of crime. 100 lashes was just pure hyperbole. So before anybody emails me, we are not to actually flog mockers. Don't go home and start beating on someone. But what's the point? The point is that, it's, it's, that even the worst possible consequences won't change the character of some people. The more often they lose their jobs and they lose their relationships, the more they're going to blame others and, and just become even more entrenched in what it is that they believe. At the, end of their at the other end of the teachability spectrum is a discerning person who learns just from a single rebuke while others would have to, to, uh, to take on devastating loss just to understand. In the middle of the spectrum of teachability are what we've talked about, the simple fools. They're not as quick to learn as the discerning, but they're not set in their ways yet. They have to see some kind of disaster or punishment hitting somebody as when the mocker is punished, right, so that they can learn prudence and change their ways. So we don't ignore mockers. The simple amongst us need to see, oh, that doesn't actually work out in the end. So, and we saw this with the stubborn and essential fool. We've got to protect the simple amongst us. And you do that, right, by handling various fools according to their folly. We talked about how to handle other fools last week. What do you do with the mocking fool? It's pretty easy. Proverbs 22, drive out the mocker, and out goes strife, quarrels, and insults are ended. In other words, it's quite simple. Remove him from the community. Take him out of the conversation. Cut off his microphone. Uninvite him to the gathering. Many of you have seen this either in a church setting or a business set setting. You know what happens when you always have, I, you know, that one person in, in your meeting, I don't know, it's your staff meeting, your group meeting, your, whatever meeting, this is your small group meeting, that one person in the meeting that's always got to, like, take a jab, take a shot, you know, a lot of times it's kind of shrouded in his wit uh, or his humor. Always trying to kind of 
elevate themselves a little bit, make themselves kind of seem smarter or better, you know, more holy, more discerning, more wise. And so they do it with a joke or a shot at somebody or the whole team. The person that, that in the group, you know, kind of spreads disunity a little bit and, and dysfunction, who's always looking at, at things cynically, right? Oh, oh, I know why he's doing that, right? Spreading their concerns. They have concerns. Solomon says the answer is fairly simple. When this becomes, this is not somebody who does this once or twice. This is somebody who, where it's just set into who they are as a person. A person. Solomon says the answer is simple. You've got to remove them. And the goal is not punitive. It isn't about punishing them. It's about protection of others first. And second, the goal is that the mocking fool in his increasing isolation, right? This is what happens to mocking fools. In his increasing separation, begins to go, huh, and repent of his folly and reconnect then back into the community. Our job is not the punishment of markers. Ours is, is not to judge or to get revenge. God, as we talked about this morning in communion, God will handle, ultimately handle the mockers. I don't know if you caught the, the irony in the verse I showed you earlier. Remember this verse? I put it up before. He mocks proud mockers, but he shows favor to the humble, the impressed. By far the most terrible and just result of scoffing is a divine taste of their own medicine. I don't know if you know what happened to the comedian John Christ, but it's an interesting story. I'll conclude my thoughts on, on Two Weeks of Fools with this. It is, guys, can we be honest? Isn't it easy to sit in the seat of the mocker? I love sitting in the seat of the mocker. It's just fun, right? Making fun of people, taking shots. I do it all the time. I, I, I regret that I do. But you can stumble into it all the time. So much wrong with the world. And it's true, there is. And people and politics and these systems and structures, they are all broken. Of course they are. We live in a broken world where everything is broken, including the people that run it. When my people aren't in power running the world, running the systems, I love to sit in the seat of the mocker. And of course, I can also play the stubborn fool I'm pretty confident I'm right that my way is the way. My truth is truth. My thoughts are God's thoughts. Even, by the way, God, though God warns over and over, your ways are not my ways. So I can be a mocker. I can be a stubborn fool. You know, it's interesting. What do we do? Because we run so easily to that. Can I just share one last thought on this and I'm done? There's one other actually kind of fool the scriptures speak of. If you, if you remember, when we started this series, I shared with you how Solomon in the Proverbs is trying to teach his son about wisdom and folly, right? And so he personifies each one. Through two women, there is lady wisdom and lady folly. And if you remember, they're each calling out on the street corners. And there's this fascinating cry from lady wisdom in chapter 1. And she yells out to everybody that wants wisdom. Here's what she says. She goes, for the waywardness of the simple, there's the simple fool, right? The waywardness of the simple will kill them. And the complacency of fools, this is the stubborn fool, I believe, that just, well, I don't need to change, right? Of fools will destroy them, but whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Which might sound familiar. Because if you want to follow Jesus, here's what you need to know. Jesus has actually picked up this verse. You know it. Many of you know it. 
Therefore, Jesus said, anybody who, does this sound familiar? Hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man, there's wisdom, who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, and yet it did not fall because its foundations were on the rock. What do we have to do? Can I just tell you? You need to choose to be a different kind of fool. You've got to stop being a simple or a stubborn or a sensual fool. You have to get out of the seat of the mocker. We have to become what Paul referred to himself as fools for Christ. Don't you see that Jesus is not just wise. Jesus is wisdom itself. You take him in. You receive him into your heart and your mind. You turn your life over to him. You allow him to live his life out through you. You don't just memorize his words. You don't just wave your finger at people who, who disapprovingly, who, who don't follow his words. You take his words and you put them into practice and then you will be wise and you will find life and you will live. Paul figured it out. He put it all together. As a Pharisee of the highest education and distinction, he knew and had memorized by the time he was five years old the teachings of Lady Wisdom. He knew them by heart. And then he met the resurrected Jesus Christ. And he put it together. And he got it. He said, I'm a new kind of fool now. I, I've become a fool for Christ. Suddenly, everything that everyone would mock, it all made sense. And, an unwed virgin mother? I mean, a virgin mother? Come on, that's foolish, isn't it? A king born in a stable, a creator entering creation, not as a god, but as a baby, a humble servant that comes to love and to serve and to die the death of a criminal on a cross? That is wisdom. Hear his words, put them into practice, and as we draw the curtain on fools for the summer, I want to leave you with a warning for Paul. You might want to write this down and put it on your fridge. He says, to all of us that struggle with being a fool, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see our world correctly, to see our place in it, to see what we're con the, the foolishness that we are, are putting out into it. Lord, would you show us the path of our folly? And through the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that is alive and well in all those who choose to receive it, set us back on the path of wisdom. In the great name of Christ, I pray. Let's stand and close in song.